Turn your attention to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read the first 12 verses of that chapter. It is, of course, Resurrection Sunday morning. It says this, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And today I want to preach to you for just a little bit a plan for the ages. A plan for the ages. God bless you. You may be seated. Many of you, no doubt, have heard the phrase, one for the ages. It is a phrase that is used and, and defined, it means this, something that will stand the test of time, something that will be remembered and regarded for years to come. We use that phrase when it comes to sports, if it's a Super Bowl or it's a game that is exciting, it is one for the ages. People refer to that of, in certain areas when it comes to books, it is a book for the ages or it is a movie, a classic or a television show or whatever it happens to be, it is something they describe that it's magnificent, it will stand the test of time, it is one for the ages. We have a story in the Bible that is one for the ages. It is one that has stood the test of time, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it is a gospel that was planned out, and so I have titled this sermon, A Plan for the Ages. When I was growing up, I saw uh, there, was, there was a show, many of you may have seen this, it was, I think early 80s maybe, called The A-Team. In recent years, they've made a movie about that. Anybody, did you see the old TV show, The A-Team? And there was a, a phrase, well, let me just throw this out there. I don't know if you ever noticed this. Nobody ever died in The A-Team. They blew up buildings. They blew up vehicles. They shot 5,000 rounds of ammunition, and nobody ever died. If you, if you don't believe me, go back and watch. Everybody lives. <laughs> That's just a little aside. But the reason I bring up the A-Team is this, is because Hannibal, the main character, the guy who's in charge of the A-Team, he was the one that was always responsible for coming up with the plan, how they're going to get the bad guys, or how they're going to get out of a bad situation, how they're going to win whatever conflict they're in. And sometimes he really did have a plan, but other times... He didn't really have a plan, and his phrase that he would use at the end when things would all work out just right, he would say, I love it 
when a plan comes together. Anybody remember that? I love it when a plan comes together. And the reality is, is that he was kind of making things up on the fly, but we serve a God who doesn't make things up on the fly. We serve a God who is never surprised by anything, that nev- nothing ever takes him uh, unaware, but he knows the end from the beginning. He knows all things, and he doesn't make things up as he goes. He is a God of order, and he is a God who plans, and he is a God who has always had a plan. That when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God is not taken by surprise. He always has had a plan. And the reality is, not only did he have a plan, but he worked his plan. And his plan was to redeem a fallen humanity by paying the penalty for man's sin and giving man his righteousness. And it is that story and it is that plan today that we celebrate this Easter Sunday morning or Resurrection Sunday morning. I want to talk about God's plan and I want to use it in a past, present, and future kind of idea. The first thing is this, is that God had a plan that was established in the beginning or a, in the past. That he established this plan. As I mentioned the fall just a moment ago, when Adam and Eve, God's two human creations, when they fall and they sin and they partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God is not surprised. Disappointed, maybe, but not surprised. That he knows that man is going to sin, and he already has a plan to redeem man out of their sin. In the Old Testament, we have this sacrificial system that starts at the Passover. Prior to the Passover, when the Jews are getting ready, and Israel is getting ready to leave Egypt, They were already offering sacrifice because at that fall of Adam and Eve, God offered a sacrifice on their behalf as he killed the animals and took the skins of those animals and he placed it on their naked bodies and covered them because of their sin. The Passover comes along and Israel is in bondage in Egypt and God is getting ready to deliver them out of Egypt and he tells them that Before this deliverance comes, there's going to be the death of the firstborn. And many of you are familiar with the story as he lays out exactly what they have to do, that they have to take a spotless lamb and they have to kill that lamb and they have to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel above the door. And they have to eat all of the lamb. And when they do, that the death angel that God is sending throughout all of Egypt, it will pass over them and they will be spared. They go into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And you know the story. They don't make it into the promised land for 40 years because of their sin and their unwillingness, their lack of faith, that they don't make it into the promised land. And God gives Moses on the mountain the Ten Commandments, and he gives him a plan for the tabernacle and a sacrificial system that when you sin, you have to go and you have to offer a sacrifice. You have to kill an animal. And depending on the severity of your sin, you offer a different size animal or an animal with more value based on your sin. But it wasn't just an Old Testament sacrificial system. It wasn't just something that God was making up on the fly. Because they sinned, he's like, well, I've got to have some way to redeem them. I've got to figure out a plan. But the Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning. 
John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. That He had a plan in mind from the beginning of time, and that plan was to redeem a fallen humanity, and He knew exactly how He was going to do it. The Bible says of Jesus that He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means in the, in the mind of God who is outside of time, the God who sees the end from the beginning, when he sees all of that, that Jesus Christ, the plan of God, is slain some 4,000 years after his creation to pay the penalty for sin. God already knew all of that. He already had it planned out. It was a plan that was established in the beginning. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That Galatians 4 passage that I quoted, maybe I haven't quoted it yet, but it says this, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law. God had a time frame in mind. And when the clock got to the right point, and the calendar got to the right point, Jesus Christ comes on the scene as the Lamb of God. It was His plan that He had established in the beginning. But it is not just a plan established in the beginning, but it is a plan that is embraced in the present. That first Easter that we read about just a few moments ago from Luke 24, it is the disciples and the the female disciples of Jesus and then the twelve or the eleven at that point who discover that Jesus has resurrected. It is that first Easter morning. But that first Easter only matters if we embrace His plan in our present. That what took place some 2,000 years ago doesn't really matter unless we embrace it in our present. The Gospel summed up by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, it is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just the death of Jesus, but it is the death of Jesus that pays for the penalty of our sin. It is the burial of Jesus Christ. He's really dead. He's not faking it. He's in a tomb. Then on the third day, just as he prophesied, he is raised again. Paul would later write, he is, his resurrection is so that we can have newness of life. But you have to embrace his plan in the present. So how do we embrace God's plan of redemption? How, how do we take that gospel or that good news and how do we live it out in our lives so that we can participate in his plan? It's actually really simple. We apply the gospel through repentance, through water baptism in the name of Jesus and through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't seen it before or witnessed it, we're going to have that baptism, as I mentioned, at the conclusion of service today. But that repentance, it is a turning from sin. It is a returning, it is a turning from doing your thing to doing God's thing. A, a turning from doing what you want to do and seeking your own lifestyle to turning to God's lifestyle and to doing what God wants us to do. 
Paul would liken this to a death. We are dying to self. In fact, Paul would say this of himself, I die daily. It's not a one-time experience, but I always need to submit myself to Jesus Christ, and I always have to fight what I want to do and do what God wants me to do. We live in a world that is very self-sufficient, and maybe it's a North American culture, but we don't need anybody's help. There are people that try to save themselves. I'll just live good. I'll do the right things. I'll, I'll give to charity. I might even go to church. But none of that will save you. It is only Jesus Christ. And we submit our ways to his ways. And we say, Lord, I can't save myself, but I want you to do it for me. That repentance and that decision to follow Jesus is how we apply his death. And how we apply his burial is in the waters of baptism. The apostle would say, we are buried with him in baptism. Symbolic of the death, you don't bury people that are alive. But we say, I have died to self, and it's that symbolic nature of baptism, and we do it in the name of Jesus because we take his name on in baptism. We become part of his family. People called by his name. But not just a death and not just a burial. We need new life and we receive that new life through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Evidence and speaking in a language that you do not know. As the Spirit gives the utterance and it is a sign that He has come in and taken residence in our life. It is His plan. It follows exactly what Jesus did. That death, burial, and resurrection. That repentance, that baptism, that infilling of the Spirit. And we have to embrace it in our present. A plan established in the beginning. Before He created the world, He established His plan. He knew exactly what He was going to do. But that plan doesn't do any good for any of us unless we embrace it and apply it to our lives. What Jesus did is only effective if we follow his footsteps. It is a plan established in the past, a plan embraced in the present, but it is a plan that has culminated in the future. It is not just a plan for the here and the now. There are a lot of benefits to following Jesus There are a lot of good things to following Jesus that we get right here and right now. Not the least of which is the freedom from the bondage of sin. The Bible says that when we are in our sin, that sin is our slave master. That we are slaves to sin, doing what sin wants us to do and doing what the desires of our flesh want us to do. And we can't stop it. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we get freedom from that. That through the power of the Spirit of God, we can overcome sin. And we're no longer bound to sin. But not only that, the Bible says we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In a world of chaos, in a world of turmoil, we get peace. In a world of disappointments, when all kinds of things are going wrong, we get joy. In a world of sin and iniquity and all kind of bad things, God gives us His righteousness when we follow Him. Those are blessings in and of themselves. There's a phrase in theological circles that righteousness has its own reward. 
that I don't live a certain way just because I, I want to please Him. I do that, but it's not just because that. I don't live a certain way just so I can get to heaven, but living like He wants us to has its own benefits in the here and now. Not being addicted to drugs or alcohol will help you keep a job. It'll help you maintain things. It'll help you maintain relationships. So just living His way has its own benefits here and now. But when we follow Him, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our comforter. That we don't have to do this alone, but Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is with us. He is coming along as our helper. He is our teacher and He is our guide. And when we don't know what to do, the Spirit will speak to us. The Spirit will lead us and guide us and help us to know exactly what He wants to do. There's a lot of benefits to following Jesus in the here and now. The Old Testament prophet would say it this way, that He takes the solitary and He puts them in families. Many of you have family that's in this room today. But there are probably some you don't really have much family. You don't have family that you get along with. But when you come to follow Jesus Christ, he puts us all in a family together. That when you are born of the Spirit, you're part of my family. And I'm part, part of your family. He puts the solitary in family. But, but not just that, but he also gives us blessing and favor. Things that otherwise would not happen in our lives that... Some would just say it would have to be luck. We call it blessing because God is orchestrating things in our lives. And when we have needs, God provides. And when we have sickness, God heals. When we need comfort, He is there. There are benefits to following Jesus Christ. But it's more than the here and now. It's more than these blessings now. It's more than this righteousness, peace, and joy now. It's more than just having the Spirit with us now. The Bible says that we are heirs of God. And we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And what that means is this, is that beyond this life, there is another life. That beyond the here and now, there is an eternity with Jesus Christ. There is the opportunity to spend an eternity with Him forever and that we will reign as kings and priests with Him. That's the blessings that's coming in our future. Oh, what a day that will be, the old song says. When my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. What a day that's going to be when we walk on streets of gold and we go through gates of pearl and we, we see all the splendor that God has done. What a day that's going to be. It's not here yet. We get a little glimpse every once in a while of what's going to come. But our ultimate culmination of His plan is when we spend eternity with Jesus Christ. When I was making notes for this and I thought about people that would look at heaven just as an alternative to an eternity in hell. and That's not the train for heaven yet. But 
anything's better than hell. If you understand what, what hell is, anything is better than that. What I wrote is this, in that same way to the homeless person, any housing is good. If it's 10 degrees out there and snowing, any shelter is good. But heaven is not just good because of the alternative. Heaven is good because it is unimaginable. Eye hath not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We talk about, and I quoted it, Streets of gold, walls of jasper, and gates of pearl. We can think about that and we can draw it out, but you can't really imagine how great it's going to be. It is an unimaginable, wondrous place to be with Jesus Christ forever. Never separated from His presence. The book of Revelation tells us The four and twenty elders, as it would say it in the King James, they cast their crowns at his feet and they said, worthy is the Lamb. It is a place of worship, it is a place of splendor, it is a place beyond imagination where we are saying, worthy is the Lamb who has redeemed us who has saved us, who has set us free, who has brought us into an eternity with Him, we can live forever. And when I was seeing, or writing that down a few days ago, I found myself, as I was writing that, I was at home by myself and sitting in my office, and I found myself saying, Oh, glory to His name. Glory to His name. And I looked up the old words to this song which says this, Down where for cleansing from sin I cried, there to my heart was the blood applied. Oh, glory to His name. I am so wondrously saved from sin, Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where He took me in, oh, glory to His name. O precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. O glory to His name. So come to this fountain so rich and sweet, cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to His name. Would you stand right now and would you give God a shout of praise and thanksgiving? Because we have an eternity with Him. That it is not in this life that we have hope only, but we have an eternity with Jesus Christ. God, we thank You for what You have done in us. We thank You for the opportunity, Lord, to gather together here today to celebrate Your resurrection, to celebrate what You have done in our lives. Lord, I thank You for your, your presence and Your Spirit that is in this place. We haven't just come here 
to go through an agenda. We've come here to exalt your name. We've come here to lift you up and to worship you. For you are good and you are holy and you are righteous all together. We've come to celebrate what that you made a way when there was no way. That you had a plan from the beginning to redeem a fallen humanity. To bring us back into relationship with you. To take us to live with you forever. You had a plan for the ages. A plan that has stood and will stand the test of time. Would you just talk to the Lord for a moment? we give you glory and honor and praise today because of who you are for what you have done in us God there's nobody like you there's nobody like you we glorify you would you just love him come on let it let out use your outside voice to talk to him right now and just thank him for his goodness and thank him for his plan Thank Him for the cross. Thank Him for the resurrection. Jesus, we love You. We worship You. You are good. You are good. There's nobody like You, Lord. There's nobody like You. you for just a moment. I preach shorter than normal today. We have a little bit of time. But if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, 
going to invite you to come to this altar today as a statement that says, I, I want to know Him. I want to be in relationship with Him. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar as well just as a sign of thanksgiving and surrender yet again to thank Him for what He's done. So whatever of those two categories you fit in, if you want to know Him because you've never had a relationship with Him, you haven't experienced His salvation, this time is for you. But if you just want to come and thank Him for His goodness and thank Him for His plan, would you do that as well?